This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Heard every Saturday morning at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Welcome, friend, to our weekly garden party. We hope you brought along your questions because it's time to dish the dirt. On The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio. Good morning and welcome to The Garden Show here on Zoomer Radio. I'm Dean Holland, uh, joined by the incomparable, incomparable <laughs> goddess of the garden, Charlie oh, Dobbin. You. How are you? Well, you want to start the day off right, you know? I'm- Dancing in my home studio. I love that intro music. It just gets my toes tapping. Yeah, yeah. We'll have to. We'll have to post the dance that happens every. Maybe we'll post it on the internet. No, no, someday. no, no. No, <laughs> no. That to the dance, dance. Yeah. So how how's your week been? Oh, it's been busy. I just. Uh... You know, for somebody who's semi-retired, I feel like I'm running around nonstop. But, uh, every, you know what? I love the rain. I'm a huge fan. I'm not going to complain. But Me what too. I will say yeah, I love the rain as well. All this rain is making the weeds grow really fast at my place. Gotcha. So I just, I'm, every time I step outside, it's like, oh, more weeds, more weeds, more weeds. Last, yesterday, Elliot was trying to mow the lawn. I was trying to, you know, do the edging of the lawn. And it started to rain, and we kept going in the rain, and then finally it was pouring. I went, okay, I guess we can't do this. Back to weeds. <laughs> yeah, the, the rain is a bit of a double-edged sword. I know it has looked just beautiful here because we had a, we had really great rain because it mm-hmm. came down so slowly, right? And everything yeah, is just flush and green, but yeah. it does then grow really fast, <laughs> for sure. Yeah. So, yeah, I like that double-edged sword. So just quickly, do you want to give the numbers and then yeah, I'll I do want give to give a couple, the numbers of, out. couple yeah, of yeah. things that are happening? Yeah, okay, I'll give the numbers out. Yeah, anywhere in Toronto, please give us a call, uh, 416-360-0740. And anywhere toll-free in the province of Ontario, 1-866-740-4740. Please do let Carlos know uh, if you are the first-time caller, and uh, he will let me know, and then we will give you your garden wings. There we are. Yeah. Yeah, we oh. want you to call often. We want you to call early and uh, one question per call, please. And yeah. we actually do already have callers on the line. So please make sure you call and uh, we'll be happy to get to your question. What announcements have you got there, Charlie? Uh, quick, a couple of quick things. I will be speaking or I'll be speaking via Zoom to the Milton Horticultural Society this Monday, whatever that is. I think it's the 13th. Um, my topic is roses, why, how and when. Now that, if you want to participate in that Zoom event, you'll have to join the Milton Hort Society. So that's MiltonHortSociety.com. That's number one. Uh, Put on your calendars for Saturday, June 25th, the Long Branch Garden Tour.ca. This is a group that has done annual garden tours of just about everybody's garden, I think, who lives in the Long Branch area is on the tour. So it's 25 plus gardens. It's completely free, 10 to 4, Saturday, June 25th. And it's really designed as a community building event. And of course, post 
not, we're not quite post-pandemic, but we're uh, on hopefully the downside of the pandemic. Uh, people are really, really wanting to get back together, to rejoin the communities, to share, you know, just sh- see each other's faces. So that's that's a fun one for sure. And then later in early July, July 10th, Brampton's doing an interesting thing. It's called Quilts in the Garden Tour. So believe it or not, actual homemade quilts will be on display inside beautiful gardens in Brampton. So for more, yeah, interesting. Sunday, July 10th, 10 to 3. It is a $15 event to participate, but you are going to be able to buy plants and quilts along the way. Uh, More information, www.bramptonhort.org. Okay, everything sounds great. Have to take a quick break, but we will be right back with much more on The Garden Show. Daffodils and daisies, bluebells and begonias, forsythia and foxgloves, marigolds, magnolia, lavender and lupins, dahlias, delphiniums, stalks, fox, hollyhocks, tulips and sweet williams. You've picked the right place for everything floral. This is The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio. Indeed, this is The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. I'm Dean Holland with Charlie Dobbin. And Charlie, I ha- I was thinking about you this week because I was sitting on my back deck and a hummingbird sort of hopped over, probably from next door because he has tons of them. And uh, I thought I remembered that you had one stuck in your garage. Whatever happened uh-huh. with Okay, so I got a great, well, I got, the, the hummingbird did find its way out, but I got a great email. I want to, you know, big thank you to Suzanne Schultz. She's a Penn State, Penn State, so Pennsylvania State Master Gardener, sent me an email and said to avoid getting hummingbirds stuck in your garage when the door is open. Realize there's that little rope with a handle on it, which is uh, used for for manually opening and closing uh, garage doors during a power failure. She said that handle is always red and they see that red handle. The hummingbird comes into the garage and then it's completely confused. So, you know, do something about that red handle. Well, I did. I got black tape right away, covered the the handle in black tape. And I want to thank Susan for that. That was just a wonderful tip. So everybody who has an automatic or electric garage door, make sure you've got that handle covered or painted black so that the hummingbirds do not get attracted into your garage when it's open. Gotcha. And now Charlie forever has her garage door open at night because she can't see the handle. (laughs) (laughs) No, if I had it open at night, I'd have foxes and lions and tigers and bears. Oh my. (laughs) Okay. Here we go. My goodness. We got calls to get to. Let's get to Carol. Carol in Scarborough. Welcome to the Garden Show, Carol. Hello. I'm calling about my rhubarb. Mm-hmm. Your rhubarb? Yes. The, um, I have beautiful rhubarb. It's nice and thick, and it's in the south side of the ho- house, right against the house. And it's in the vegetable garden. It get lots, gets lots of water, and it's in sandy soil, so we have beautiful rhubarb. Yeah. Perfect. And it, it flowered this year because we didn't get to cutting it soon enough. Mm-hmm. So I lost all that rhubarb. So I just wondered mm. if the rest of the rhubarb would be okay. Oh, probably, but you're right. Once a plant like rhubarb flowers, the leaves tend to be very small and shriveled and not nearly as as robust as they are pre-flowering. So if you if you see the flower coming up, just cut it off. Yeah, um, we did. it's like it's lettuce, right? Lettuce finish. We call it bolting when the flowers. It's, it's interesting it flowered so early, but your conditions sound perfect. Yeah, they are. We've the, we've had good rhubarb every year, and this mm-hmm. is the first year oh. it's flowered. Sure, and you'll have good, lots of good rhubarb next year. So for this year, just try and avoid letting any of it, any more of it, flower. 
Okay, will do, and thank you. Thanks okay, thank you, me. Carol. Yeah, thanks. Uh, we are, uh, my wife's upstairs as we speak. She is uh, in the rhubarb. Yeah, she's making muffins, and we oh. got we got, yo, yeah, I'm a big Yum. fan. In fact, we we have a very small patch, which we would love to make bigger, so I'd probably have to move it. But And so we supplement that oh. by buying some of the local markets. Oh, my. You love your rhubarb that much? I do love rhubarb, yeah. Yeah, we're big uh, rhubarb fans. Get can, Create some conditions like Carol has. Like she said, you know, okay. sandy, well-drained soil, lots of sun, uh, you know, obviously maintain water as necessary. And okay. you can grow rhubarb easily. Fabulous. And if anybody in the meantime would care to donate some rhubarb, I <laughs> would be happy to take it. <laughs> okay. Just leave it at your, on your doorstep. Just leave it at the doorstep. You got it. Uh, we're going to Oakville now. We have uh, Earl on the line. Good morning. Welcome to the Garden Show, Earl. Hi. Hi, Charlie. It's been a long time. Yeah, morning. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. How often should you fertilize the grass in the beginning of the season? Good question. The beginning of the season being the spring, many people will apply a spring fertilizer on their lawn if they haven't done a fall fertilizer, like a dormant end of season fertilizing. I'm a big fan of the fall fertilizing or winterizing fertilizer, and I never usually spring fertilize at all. But I, I watch the lawn with all the rain we've had this year. Uh, and our lawn is a fairly young lawn. It's only two years old. Yeah. We did just recently fertilize again with what's considered a maintenance fertilizer. So that's not s- super high nitrogen the way we do in the spring. That's more of a balanced fertilizer just to feed all those little plants, green them up uh, and, and help keep them thick. Because the thicker the lawn is, the fewer weeds you're going to have. Yeah. Thank you very much, Charlie. Thanks for calling. Yeah. Thanks, Earl. Yeah, we... Uh, over the years, I think we're we're probably less fertilized people. We are yeah, more into yeah. overseeding. I like, mm-hmm. I, you know, but we did put down some fertilizer last fall. Good. That is That's slow release stuff. Yeah, and I think yeah. we've really noticed the difference. It's nice. Yeah. And that if you're only going to, like, if, like you have a very established, you know, 30, 40 year old lawn. Yeah. If you're only going to do one fertilizer a year, do what you did, the, the fall or late fall uh, winterizer fertilizer. And you're right. Old established lawns are great. They, they don't really need our help. It's just the young ones that often need a little support. Gotcha. Okay, I'm going to give those numbers out again. Uh, anywhere in Toronto, 416-360-0740, or anywhere in the province of Ontario, it is a toll-free call, 1-866-740-4740. Please give us a call. However, we do have to take our next break. We will be right back with more on The Garden Show. Don't change stations just because the weather changes. Garden tips and advice all year round. This is The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio. This is The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. I'm Dean Holland, and we are back. And um, uh, we have callers. We'll, you know, we'll get to one of them right now. Let's go to Dorchester. We have Diane on the line. Welcome to The Garden Show, Diane. Good morning. I, I love watching your healing gardens. Keep it coming. And uh, I have a rhubarb question, but it's a little different. Um, The rhubarb was dying off for the last year or two, and I took your advice, Charlie. I put the uh, sheet compost on it, and uh, I was so pleasantly surprised, absolutely amazingly surprised, because we love uh, rhubarb, too, in every form, pies and muffins and everything. But our problem is the leaves that are green and round they have um, uh, this um, rust 
little circles of rust starting to form on them, almost like, you know, in the fall when, um, uh, when it's the last of the rhubarb. And then also some of the leaves that don't have the rust on it, something's eating it. And, <clears throat> heard me, it's not rabbits because our, our uh, backyard is uh, rabbit-proof. We have a Jack Russell uh, dog, and he would kill them, so, <laughs> uh, <laughs> unfortunately. Huh. Okay, so I'm just looking here. Um, rhubarb turning, because, I mean, we know that when, as we were mentioning, it's been a, a moist, <clears throat> thank goodness we've had some rain this spring, which is great. We're loving that. Uh, but when we have high humidity and lots of rain, uh, we do tend to have more fungal diseases. So they're just looking here. Uh, the spots are, why are my rhubarb leaves turning orange? Yeah, uh, fungus yeah. thrives, airflow is restricted. So, yeah, I mean, just as, as with any fungal disease, number one, it's environmental. With high humidity, lots of rain, poor air circulation, many plants will develop fungal diseases we might not have ever seen before. So take it in stride. It's not something that you would, you, you can't cure fungal diseases. You can only prevent them. And of course, you never know when you need to be on the ball in terms of prevention, except remember that going forward, you may need to um, dig up and move your rhubarb so that it's better spaced apart. Rhubarb tends to get very, very compact and densely growing. And then you end up with poor air and sun penetrating into the plant and you start getting some uh, red spots, orange spots. Um, yeah, little critters start being able to live within the patch. So a uh, good idea for full sun, well-drained soil, as uh, Carol mentioned, she has. But, but you know, just like irises, every now and then we have to divide them. We have to dig them up, divide them, and spread them out. So it well, might you know just be a case of something like that. them off. Like, I mean, half the leaf is missing, and these are healthy leaves. And it's right down the vein, kind of in the middle. One half of it's missing, and it's it's like is you'd think you had a a cow or a horse in there, taking a big bite out of them, chewing away at it. Except they probably wouldn't. Um, I wonder. You know, we've got that that situation going on with what used to be called the gypsy moths, but are now called the spongy moths. Oh, yeah. uh, let me just quickly look here. Or maybe what we should do is leave that with me, and let me see if I can just uh, we'll, we'll go on to um, uh, other callers. But keep listening, and I will do my best Thank to uh, see much. what I can figure yeah. out, Diane. And I'll keep listening. Thank okay. you. Okay. Right, Thank, yeah. Thanks, Diane. I got to say, I was a little bit, uh, you know, I was a little bit disappointed by Diane's question. She said she had a little bit of a different question about rhubarb. I thought maybe she wanted my address. <laughs> Dropping or, it off. Or one of your recipes. <laughs> or one, my, <laughs> my grandmother, I, I, my, one of my favorite pies in the world is something my grandmother used to make. Every season, she made oh, a, yeah. a rhubarb and custard pie. And I, oh, I miss it immensely. And she, uh, it, you know, my grandmother's been gone for yeah. the, the better part of a decade now. And, um, and uh, every summer, she would make this rhubarb and custard pie. And uh, yeah, that great, great memory for me, for sure. Did you get her recipe before she died? Um, I, I didn't. I think I might be able to still reach out to my uh, my uncle and uh, see if he's got it. But, and, my, and my wife, certainly, uh, Gail, has been uh, making various versions over the year. And they are also delightful. But uh, okay. yeah. Bring back but you don't want to lose those old recipes no. that go with those fond memories, right? No.
you don't. Keep those, you got to keep those recipes. I know. I collected a bunch from both my mother and mother-in-law because, you know, that they're yeah. just so important. Here's um, just a quick yeah. for Diane. Okay. <clears throat> I'm quickly reading here. What could be eating my rhubarb? Slugs, snails. Okay, that makes sense. All this rain, slugs and snails. Leaf beetles, beetles in general, and deer are the culprits you should look out for. And they Jack most- Russell Terriers. <laughs> they're, they're, that's what's going on here <laughs> the most commonly known yeah. animals for eating rhubarb leaves so slug wow. snails which are out at night right and they start on the edges and work their way in uh beetles and leaf beetles could chew anywhere of course deer could have done it because they'll just take a big chunk yeah. of anything they want to eat yeah okay uh we have another caller on the line we have a couple um let's go to sheila in georgetown uh welcome to the garden show sheila Oh, good morning, Charlie. I love your show. I listen to it every week. Um, Thank you. My question is about a rabbit or a hare. I'm not quite sure which, but he likes to make dinner of my rose plant. So <laughs> I've made a tent for um, the rose to protect it, um, a plastic with netting around it. Is there anything okay. I can put down on the flower bed that rabbits or hares don't like that could keep it away? Uh, okay, so when it comes to critters eating our plants, one thing we can do is we can set up barricades, like uh, physical barriers. So like you said, you kind of tented the rows. Chicken wire can be very effective, just mm-hmm. wrapped uh, around on the outside of the rows. So we you know something that's very thin and inobtrusive so that you can still enjoy your rows, but the rabbit can't get in and start chewing on it. Um, Because rabbits do love roses. Well, everybody loves roses, right? They're very tasty plants, not to mention beautiful. Um, I use a product called Plant Skid, and I always forget how to spell Plant Skid. It's Plant, P-L, and you can buy this at Canadian Tire or any garden center. Plant Skid, okay, there it is, Plant, oh, where'd it go? S-K, so Plant, P-L-A-N-T-S, S as in Sam, and then K as in kite, Y as in yellow, and then two Ds, like D as in Dobbin. So plant skid, and it is very available. Urban Nature Store, like I say, Lee Valley Tools, Garden Centers all over the place. It is an herbivore repellent. It repels any animals that eat your foliage and your plants. That includes deer and elk and bunny rabbits and groundhogs and and you know anybody out there and it's it's a long lasting spray so you spray it on the plants following the directions and uh, i i have used it here in the fall to spray my deer my tasty plants to avoid uh, deer damage over the winter good so Thank i would try that if i were you unless you want to set up like i said the physical barriers to keep the bunnies out okay okay, okay. Okay, thanks for the question there, uh, Sheila. Uh, now, I was thinking, I got to tell you two things. I, uh, I have to be very careful what I say in the air because I've already got a, I've already got a text from my wife who's up there. <laughs> <laughs> who said, I make you rhubarb custard pie every season. She says, oh. if, not, if not two or three. <laughs> oh, my goodness. And is it, but is it the right recipe? Oh, is it it's, grandma's recipe? It, well, it, you know what? I And all I meant to say was rhubarb. <laughs> It brings me back really good memories. And yes, yeah. in the last handful of years, absolutely. Uh, Gail picked up on this conversation <laughs> that we had a few years ago, and she does. Absolutely. You know, so uh, absolutely make it. And they are delicious. I love it. I love yeah. it. So I was well, just thinking. Though, the, thanks, the, Gail. Yeah. 
<laughs> keeping me in line. You're the best. Yeah. <laughs> I was just thinking, you know how sometimes we have, uh, you know, shows like we'll have merchandise, you know, well, you're, you'll have, you know, like Zoomer. Zoomer has mugs, right, that they will right. send out to people. And I just was thinking that <laughs> we should we should brand a slingshot with the garden show for all those rabbits and animals. <laughs> you yeah. can send them out to the callers. And so they can, you know, you can, yeah. because you yeah, could like hit them with a blueberry or something like that, that would, <laughs> you know, just scare them off. <laughs> or, a, or a chestnut or something. Yeah, <laughs> something like that. That would help with those rabbits and the hares and all oh, the critters yeah, that keep yeah. eating because we get calls fairly often. Yeah. Things well, different. It, it's so interesting. Different people living in different places have such different issues going on, right? You know, urban versus suburban versus rural and versus everything in between. All the different issues that we can people deal with. Yeah. Well, we've got a call. This is not suburban or urban at all. We're going out to Turkey Point now. Uh-huh. We are going to talk to uh, Sunday. Welcome to the show, Sunday. Yes. Good morning. Um, I bought a um, butterfly bush a few years ago when it was quite small and planted it. it. It did very well. It has done very well for a couple of years now. And uh, I usually cut it back uh, quite a bit every year. Now, last year it got up to about, oh, I'd say nine feet tall. Beautiful. Wow. And um, I only cut it back... Um, to about six feet because the nursery insisted that I should only cut it back a third of its uh, growth. So now it's it's there. It's got some new growth down near the bottom, but now I've got all this ugly <laughs> bare yeah. branches sticking up, and I don't know whether okay. I should uh, think about cutting those or yes. Very good question. Thank you. Thank you for your call. Uh, The nursery insisted that you only prune a third of a plant off during the growing season. And that does make sense because it's too, it's just hard on a plant to, you know, really strip it down when it's actively growing. But in the spring, and a butterfly bush is a good example, very often we almost treat them like a, a perennial instead of a bush. So the root stays alive. In the spring, when you start to see the green growing off of the along the bark of that bush, it's usually like you say down at the bottom. That's when you get out your loppers or your pruners and you chop the whole thing down to where you st- are starting to see the green emerge. And um, in my experience, sometimes the green will be you know two inches above ground level. Sometimes the green will be a whole foot above ground level. But whatever, wherever it is, you cut down to the green. It's about Still a foot right now, so I can cut all those ugly dead limbs Definitely. off. Then. Definitely, cut it out. Don't be a don't be, don't worry about that one third rule because in the spring we can mm-hmm. do it. We always always remove dead wood anytime we see it, and that is all dead. Okay, good, good. Well, thank okay. you so much. You're oh, very thank, welcome. Yeah, Thanks. Thank you. Have Sunday. a good day. Thanks. All the way from Turkey Point. I bet you uh, Sunday was a first-time caller, you know. I don't remember her ever calling yeah, in Yeah, well, past. you know what? We'll just assume, because yeah. it wasn't marked as a first time, but she may not have mentioned it to Carlos. Right. So I will give her the garden wings anyway. I Here you go, Sunday. So. There you a go. cowbell. Virtual and, wings. Yeah, <laughs> the virtual <laughs> wings. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to give out the numbers again. Uh, anywhere in Toronto, 416-360-0740. Or anywhere, toll-free, in the province of Ontario, 1-866-740-4740. Uh, we're going to go to Mississauga now. I guess that would be suburban, wouldn't it? Yes, suburban, Georgia. 
Georgia, and Georgia is a first-time caller. Welcome to the show, Georgia. Thank you. I'm going to give you your Charlie. wings, okay? <laughs> there, there you go. go. Welcome. Thank you. Charlie, you um, I would like to know how can I transplant orchids into a, a little bigger pot? The ones that they're in right now is very small, and um, I was thinking of transferring them, but I don't know how. Hmm. Can you give okay, me good. some kind of advice how to do sure. it? Sure. So here's what I would do. Number one, you when you're going to transplant an orchid, make sure you've got the proper pot. You okay. don't just go into any old plastic pot. Uh-huh. Bare minimum, you're going to need a terracotta pot. So, you know, that's that clay pot, which uh-huh. allows lots of great air and moisture circulation. Best case, you actually buy, like go to a store that carries pots for orchids. And uh-huh. those will be, it'll look like a pot, but it'll have extra drainage holes. So not okay. just holes in the bottom, but it'll have holes in the side. So you're probably in a little tiny two or three or even four inch pot now. So you're going to go up one size. So if you're in a four inch pot now, you'll go up to a six. If you're in a two inch pot now, you'll probably go to a four. So never sort of jump too radically or the the orchid will go into shock Uh look at what it's planted into it could be planted into moss like a spongy spag moss it could be planted into bark it's definitely not planted into soil so whatever i use the bark alone or what pardon do i just use the bark alone to transplant them you do again when you're shopping for that pot you're going to shop for orchid bark and you'll soak the bark in advance because it's very dry in the bag. Uh-huh. And it's not that hard. It's just a matter of loosening it out of the current pot, getting the new pot ready to go with fresh media, whatever it is, uh-huh. and then putting that, that little orchid into the new pot, same level as it is now. Make sure all the roots that are on the surface stay on the surface. Okay. The roots that are down in the pot go into the new pot, and lots of new media goes around those roots. And, you know, you might have to use a pencil or a chopstick or something just to firm the roots down. You, sometimes you can't get your fingers in there because there's so many roots. But yes. just make sure it's firm in the pot and uh, and then, of course, back into its proper location. So not that hard to do, and now is the right time to do it. Okay, uh, and then, what, then how often do I have to water it? <clears throat> well, how often do you water it now? Uh, once a week. Hmm. Okay, so uh, I'm not a big fan of water on the calendar. I basically water my orchids when they start feeling light. Okay. They take less water in the winter than they do in the summer. This time of year, I might be watering my orchids every five or six days. Mm -hmm. Uh, And of course, as you probably know, the best way to water an orchid is with a big pail of room temperature rainwater and dunk the whole orchid pot and all into the water and really, really water it thoroughly. And then again, don't do it again until it's nice and light and and ready to to get some more moisture. Um, One thing I would mention, Georgia, the Southern Ontario Orchid Society. So S as in Sam, uh-huh. O as in Ontario, another O as in Orchid, and uh-huh. another S as in Sam. So S-O-O-S dot, I think, C-A or dot org, whatever it is. Uh, so just Google Southern Ontario Orchid Society. They have a great website, and they do have tips on orchid care. Okay. Thank you okay. very much, Charlie. You're very welcome. Yeah, thanks for the call, Georgia. 
And we we have something. I'm looking at something that we don't have very often. We have a flurry, a flurry of first time callers. Oh my goodness! Everybody on the line is, is a like first time caller. I am, yeah, I am getting a workout this morning. So let, let's go to Earl in Earl in Guelph. Good morning. Welcome to the Garden Show, Earl. Hello. Hello, and you get, you get your garden wings. There you go. Actually, actually, it's Ron in Guelph. It's Ron. Yeah. Oh. Well, okay. like, Hi, my Ron. goodness, Car- Carlos must be asleep at the wheel there. What's going on? So, <laughs> I'm glad I rang the bell. Wake, wake him up. <laughs> well, they, Welcome, Ron. They, they, they know who Ron and Guelph is at Fight Back with Louise Neimer. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, welcome to our show. Well, I, I listen. If Unless I'm on the road, most of them I can get the AM 740. But uh, if you're traveling up, even on stretches of the 401 mm. down near Kingston, and Prescott, I lose the signal. It's the same thing. When I'm going through the Canadian Shield, I lose the signal. You're right. But anyway, okay, so I'm not sure if this, this topic's been discussed before, but I would imagine it has. So my dog and every other dog peed on the same spot on my grass over the winter. Um, <laughs> what can I do to try and restore that grass? <laughs> well, you got to train them to pee in different spots. Your starters. <laughs> well, I, you know what? Uh, well, I, I got during the winter time. I got lazy and I just let him out the front door yeah. and he'd go. Yeah. Now I train him to go over against the stop sign on the street. <laughs> <laughs> Good idea. Get the weeds <laughs> growing out the stop sign. So, of course, well, we know what happens dog when dogs dog pee anywhere. Spot. Every other dog is going to want to pee in the same spot too, right? They do tend to want to mark their territory on top of another dog's mark. So uh, great if we can get them moving around a bit. But remember what is urine made out of? It's got lots and lots of ammonia in it. And it's the ammonia that causes the grass to die. It's not, you know, the the toxicity part is just that it's very... um, how do I explain? It's like a salt. It's just, it, it kills the grass just like road salt kills grasses. So what you need to do in the spring is pray for rain. And if we don't get lots of rain, water, 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 because water will neutralize the ammonium in the soil that has built up over the winter. Uh, you will still have to do some top dressing and overseeding that, um, uh, Dean was mentioning that he does at his place. So a little bit of good quality topsoil, triple mix, something like that, you know, quarter of an inch, half an inch, roughing. Like If it's really dead, obviously you're raking out the dead stuff first. You're getting down some fresh soil to bring the uh, yard, the lawn back to level. And then you're sprinkling some fresh seed. If the dogs are going to continue to insist on using that spot, I'd use like a small, you know, those little wire um, fences that you poke into the ground. Uh, yeah. They're a great training aid, actually, with many dogs because they won't they won't go over it. They'll run into it and stop, and, and just fence off that area until the grass starts to grow again. And and kind of use that as a way to move them to different areas. And when you see your dog peeing, you know, or any dog peeing, have a watering can handy. Uh, all through the summer and you know for, until winter, just pour water on right away, and the grass will not suffer as much. Okay, okay thanks for the idea. thanks for the question there, Ron. Appreciate it. Do have to run? We have to take another break, but um, we will be back with more right here on the Garden Show. Fur and feathers and bugs of all size. There's more going on in the garden than you realize. Should small creatures become a big problem, then you've got the Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Exclusively on Zoomer Radio. 
Yes, we are back with The Garden Show. I'm Dean Holland here with uh, Charlie Dobbin. And I have to give a shout out to Carlos because Carlos works very, very hard. <laughs> and actually, uh, what, it's the exact opposite today. We have so many callers coming I through. He, we can tell sleep. he's moving a mile a minute. That guy is what's <laughs> happening today. Yeah. Okay, let's go to uh, Brian. We have Brian in Brampton. Uh, welcome to The Garden Show, Brian. And uh, you are a first time caller. That is true. Okay. Uh, welcome. Welcome to the show. There you go. There you garden wings, <laughs> sir. What do you got for Charlie? I have a cottage with a weed-filled lawn that I don't want to mow. So we're up there only every three weeks. And I'm tempted to go to a clover lawn and wondering the best strategy to do that, whether I dig up as much of the grass as possible and then start afresh or whether I can throw the clover seeds amongst the grass and and weeds or whether I should yeah. take out some of the weeds. And then the second part of the question <laughs> would be the type of clover, flowering clover. I'm tempted as much as I like bees not to go that route as it may interrupt uh, the badminton court, which is partially uh, <laughs> one. <laughs> Everybody has such specific needs. It's so interesting. <laughs> Uh, okay, well, that's a great question, and thank you for ca- for calling, and you know, welcome to the show, of course. Uh, yes, I'm a big fan of clover, and I absolutely agree. Going to the cottage, the last thing you want to do is have to mow the lawn every time you show up. Is your cottage surrounded by things like pine trees and spruce trees, lots of evergreens, or, or what's the vegetation like? Uh, it's up in Manitoulin, predominantly cedar trees. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so eliminate the lawn at cottage. Well... You, yeah, that's the thing. The easiest thing to do by far is to mow the lawn as short as you can. Now would not be the optimal time. I'd probably wait till fall to do this. And so you'd mow as short as you can. You would distribute some fresh soil. You would probably buy some bag soil. I don't know how big this area is. You might need to bring in a yard of of topsoil or triple mix. You'd rake the soil all out. Then you would sprinkle your seed. In this case, I would recommend white clover as your choice. You'd sprinkle the seed. You'd give it another light raking and you'd leave it alone. Next spring, The what's so cool about clover is once it starts to grow, it tends to grow so well and it out grows everything else that you can very quickly lose your your weeds and lose your existing grass to the clover however unmowed clover will flower and as you point out badminton and bees and clover don't always mix so you if you're going to grow clover you're going to have to mow it if you don't want to have a lot of flowers if you don't want to grow have flowers you know what you might want to consider there is a seed out there it is supplied by several different suppliers, but um, particularly uh, from its original inventors, which is Wildflower Farms. Wildflower Farms is not that, well, I mean, it's a bit far from you, but it's up a really away. Wildflower Farms invented something called Eco Lawn. Eco Lawn, Eco Grass. I think it's maybe it's Eco Grass, E C O Grass. And you can get a hold of seed, which, which is a, a fescues, no flowers. Very, very simple to grow grasses, and um, and those grasses will grow and do, do not need to be mowed. They kind of they grow up and then they flop over, kind of like a, a haircut that like hair hair that needs to be cut, but it doesn't. Mm-hmm. Then they stop growing. 
So it's a it's a nice low maintenance lawn, and that might be your better bet because then you're not going to have issues with bees and flowering, uh, clover, etc. So go look for eco lawn, eco grass. You you will find it at suppliers as well as its originators, wildflower farms. Okay. Plant in plant in the fall. <laughs> Great. Okay. Good, good luck with that, Brian. Yeah. And uh, good luck with your badminton game, too. <laughs> <laughs> we, uh, we have to take a, a quick break. We do have some more callers on the line, uh, but I have to take a quick break. So we will be back with more on The Garden Show. Daffodils and daisies, bluebells and begonias, forsythia and foxgloves, marigolds, magnolia, lavender and lupins, dahlias, delphiniums, stalks, flocks, hollyhocks, tulips and sweet williams. You've picked the right place for everything floral. This is The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio. Oh, yes, we are back with The Garden Show, and uh, we have, my goodness, less than eight minutes to go and some callers on the line. Let's get right to it. We have Marg calling from Paris, and you are a first-time caller, Marg. Yes, I am. Morning. Welcome. What do you got for Charlie there? Um, I tuned in late to your show, and I know you've already been speaking about rhubarb, so if you've already had this question, I'm sorry. Um, yeah. I get uh, red dots on the rhubarb leaves, and I looked online, and they said it's some kind of a fungus. And I just wondered what you think. Uh, it likely is. And, and you're right. We did get this question earlier in the show uh, from Diane in Dorchester. She was finding her leaves disappearing and getting spots and all kinds of things. So a couple of things. Make sure your rhubarb is planted where it gets a minimum of six hours of direct sun every day. So lots and lots of sun. Make sure it's a reasonably fertile but well-drained soil. Rhubarb does not want a soggy spot. It wants very good drainage. All the rain we've been getting this year has really encouraged a lot of growth and moist soil. And those are the conditions that are, are optimal for fungal growth. So you probably, many of us are going to start seeing fungal you know, spots and rusts and, and powdery mildews because of the high humidity and the high moisture levels. All you can do is optimize the sunshine, optimize the drainage and air air circulation. So make sure that the rhubarb is out in an area where the wind is, is drying the leaves as the sun goes down, the leaves are not wet because you can't, you know, you, you can't control the rain, but you can certainly control where you plant it. And that will minimize the fungal issues. And of course, next year is a whole new year. So you've got all new leaves next year. If it's a really old patch of rhubarb, consider digging it up and dividing and separating some of these plants out from each other. Again, that will open up the air and the sun penetration. So it's still okay. safe yeah. to use. It's still safe to use the rhubarb. Oh, even one sure. that. Yeah, not going to hurt you at all. Okay. Okay. Thanks. For, yeah. Thanks for the question. Late, how, and, what's the yeah, latest you should pick the rhubarb? Sorry, I missed that. How, what's the latest that you should oh. pull a rhubarb? Like. Um. Good question. I mean, uh, it's usually based on the, the size and quality of the stems because, of course, we keep talking about rhubarb leaves, but we're not actually eating the blades of the leaves. We're only eating the stems. And you do need to allow some to like you need some leaves on the plant as summer continues, because otherwise the plant will die or go go dormant. So always leave leaves behind. Flower, expect flowering soon and you'll stop picking as soon as the flowers show up, likely. Fabulous. Thanks for the question there, Marg. Good luck with okay, your rhubarb. Yeah, we are going to go right to Niagara Falls. We have Kathy it's, on the line. Welcome to the Garden Show, Kathy. Thank you. Um, Morning. I, I just wanted to ask Charlie about moving a blue azure. 
a blue... It's called a blue azure. It looks more like a bush than just a plant. It's it's like four uh-huh. feet tall, and it right. uh, it's beautiful. It's bushy and everything, but I'm afraid if I move it, I'm not able to kill it, you know? Does it get blue flowers in August, September? Um, like, it has blue flowers right now. Oh, it does. Hmm. Okay, so the blue azure is uh, a cult of our name. And I'm just trying to see what it is. So you can't... Uh, oh, sage. There's a blue azure sage. Is it a real smelly plant? Do you use it... Um, I don't. Uh, in, I just use it for decoration because it's... Yeah, it's, it's blue right now. It's a beautiful blue. Tall, delicate, blue flowers, square stems. Yeah, like... Yeah, ah, so it's blooming right now. So... You can move it when it's not blooming. <laughs> and I would never move anything in the middle of the summer. Unless, of course, you have to move it. <clears throat> if there's construction starting or you're moving your house and moving away and you want to take it with you, I get it. You have to move it. Yeah. But otherwise, leave it where it is right now. Until it will fall. stop flowering at some point. Uh-huh. You will deadhead. You'll get out your pruners. You'll cut off those uh, sort of curled up flowers when it's done flowering. And then you'll let it be as a plant. Many sages will come back or salvias will flower again as the summer continues. Not as bountifully as they do now, but they'll often form more flowers. And your time to move it is uh, August, late August, early September. And you can move it just about anywhere. Just make sure that it is getting that full sun we talked about that the rhubarb loves. So that six hours of sun and well-drained soil. big seed pods on it. I'm wondering, mm. could I, I plant the seeds and, and start it that way, or should I just move the whole plant? You can, when the seed, these are last year's seed pods that are on the plant, because uh, it wouldn't have gone to seed yet, I can't imagine. So what you would do is you can certainly mm. uh, harvest the seeds when they're mature, so that would be probably in the fall. Uh, break open the pods, assuming that they're dry and mature, and sprinkle seeds on the surface of the soil. And then those seeds need to be outside for the winter, and they are likely to grow in the spring if they are given the right conditions to do so. So, you know, moisture, sunshine, et cetera, et cetera. So they might. Uh, if it's a cultivar, it, they will be seeds that are sterile. If it's an open pollinated plant, then it often will seed and, you know, become a problem, actually, because it'll invade your entire garden. So so, I mean, it's worth a try. Uh, seed starting can be a lot of fun. You could okay. also bring the seeds in and put them in the refrigerator for the winter and start them indoors in the spring. So okay. either way, but you have to give it winter. Okay. Thanks for the call there. Okay, we got one more. Hopefully the question but we will be really quick. We're going to go to Ina, and Ina is in Fergus. Welcome to the Garden Show, Ina. Hi. Good morning. Um, w- My question is about transplanting a trillium. Mm, oh, that's a hard one. Is it at your home and you want to move it, or it's out in the woods and you want to move it? Uh, it's in a wooded area at the back of my property that is, you know, totally not tended at all. Right. And I want to move it forward uh, right. so it's, it's still in a wooded area but gets a little bit more light, and I have a, a, a flower bed there. Yeah. Um, Okay, so as you know, trilliums go completely dormant for the summer, so you have to mark where it is now, uh, So, because otherwise it'll disappear. When it's finished flowering, technically you could move it. 
keep in mind that technically it's against the law to move trilliums uh, so that so make sure there's no police around when you do this um, <laughs> when when you move it the hard thing is giving it the exact conditions that it has now very hard to transplant trilliums I know I've tried you can buy trilliums uh, that are raised in cultivation as opposed to taken from the wild. So buying cultivated trilliums is usually your better bet for planting closer to your into your garden and let the wild ones be wild. Um, and that's all I can say because we're all at a racetrack. Thanks for your call, Ina. Thanks, Dean. Couldn't have done yeah. any of this without you well, and, orchestrating yeah, and, and conducting it all. And um, thanks, Ton Carlos. Thanks to all the great callers. See you again next week. This has been an exclusive podcast of The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Heard every Saturday morning at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.